Welcome back to the Ramble Room. I'd like to take a second and just thank our listeners for being so faithful and being there consistently. We really appreciate that. We do this for you, and we could not do this without you. Thank you for being there. One of the most important elections this year in the state is the election for state superintendent of public instruction. What we've done here is gone back to January when three of the current candidates were introduced to the GOP Central Committee. They gave a two-minute introductory speech, and then they were subjected to some questions. And I wanted to replay these three. This is Brian Schrader. This is Tom Kelly. This is Megan Degenfelder. And I wanted you to hear what they had to say at that time, and then we'll have a little bit more to say. Hi, Brian. You have two minutes for your opening remarks. The timekeeper is to your left, and he'll let, notify you every 30 seconds. Watch out for those cords. Wow, thank you. Uh, I prepared for three to five minutes, so this is going to be a trick. Um, I'll, just, I'll do my best. My name is Brian Schrader. Uh, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Grew up in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, my wife and I uh, have been married for 36 years. We have seven children. Uh, a year and a half ago, I moved from Wisconsin to Cody, Wyoming to head up a fledgling private school. And uh, I have had a great time up in Cody, especially the people of Cody. They're incredible. And the people of Wyoming. Incredible state. I love it here. Uh, the twofold question that's been rattling around in my head all week, once I got a call from the good folk of the uh, Park County Republican Party to ask if I might be interested in this, was why would I be interested in doing this? And two, why would they be interested in me? I'm an outsider. I'm not part of the system. Would this be a good fit for both parties? And it really came down to five things as the motivating factor. First came down to the family. My uh, belief in the family is the cornerstone of, of society, which uh, makes me very concerned about our young people. So many of them have no work ethic. They're addicted to social media. They're literally losing themselves, and we're losing many of them. And besides that, as a parent, I'm ultra-sensitive to the fact that uh, parents are feeling blocked out and boxed out, and, uh, and that we are accountable to the parents, ultimately. Not the school boards, not the state or federal department of education. These are their kids. It's their tax money paying our salaries. Therefore, we work for them, the parents. Let's listen closely and carefully to the parents. And uh, a lot of parents don't feel like that's happening. Um, another reason I'm here is because I just came out of the classroom yesterday and I'll go back to the classroom on Monday. I'm a classroom teacher and my time is up. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Schrader, welcome back. I have three questions that I will read to you and you have two minute response time. You've been given the questions ahead of time, but I will go ahead and ask them for the voters' benefit. Okay, first question. Senate File 104 took the vote away from the people and made it an appointment by the governor. If you had an opportunity to vote on the bill, how would you have voted? I would have uh, I would have voted to keep the uh, keep it to the people, uh, not by appointment. I'll give it to the people for election, and it uh, basically goes back to my view of who owns 
this country and who owns this state. And, uh, you know, whether it's in the public schools with the battle between the school board and the parents, or at the government level, uh, the uh, issue and the struggle in this country is who is accountable to whom. And um, because this is the people's state, they should choose their elected leaders. And uh, you start giving too many appointments to the governor and you're taking away the power from the people. And so that's, that's the short answer. I would have voted to keep, uh, um, keep it to the people and, um, and toward the appointment was not made by the governor. Question number two. The Wyoming Department of Education paid $215,000 to Panorama Education Services, a company co-founded by Attorney General Merrick Garland, his son-in-law. Do you support this expenditure? Why or why not? Um, no, I don't. I heard about this recently. Um, I understand Merrick Gar Garland's son-in-law was instrumental also in uh, getting critical race theory uh, into, I don't know how many public schools, 23,000 or something like that, all under the radar and uh, uh, very, very subversive. And it figures, it didn't, su didn't surprise me when I heard that. But um, no, of course I don't uh, support this expenditure. And um, I believe you can find out more information on this in um, openthebooks.com, uh, where I guess Wyoming was at one time not an open book state, but it is now. You can get all the goods on that uh, at, that, at that website. And uh, so, no, I don't support the expenditure. Merrick Garland right there is a major red flag. Um, and. Uh, yeah, so it's disheartening to hear that whoever in the state of Wyoming, Wyoming was cooperating with this or working behind the scenes on this. Um, but again, open the books, let the people know. This is your state, you are the owners. Turn the power back to the people. And third and final question. Where do you stand on COVID masks and vaccine mandates? How would you define your role as superintendent of public instruction? and the school district's role? Uh, well, where do I stand at COVID masks and vaccine mandates? I think the, um, the uh, legitimate policy scholars out there uh, need to re-examine the uh, policies that have you know, come down related to COVID and masks and the vaccine mandate up to this point because uh, in hindsight, it's done a lot of uh, brought a lot of pain to families, uh, brought a lot of hurt to children and to the elderly. And um, um, so uh, beyond that, I think that decision needs to uh, stay local with the communities and their schools and uh, with the school boards ultimately subject to the parents. Um, real quick, if I could get this in. Uh, so. My experience, I know this may vary from school to school, from district to district and school board to school board, but most school boards think the buck stops with them. Uh, most school boards do not know how to be a school board, how to operate. 
They don't understand that they are supposed to be an agent or a representative of the owners of the school. So in a public school, the owners are the community. In a private school, the owners are the parents. Either way, the school board is only the agent or the representatives of the owner. If the school boards understood that or, or actually practice it, and the owners, whether it's the parents or the community, got a hold of that concept, it would be a major paradigm shift. Uh, obviously our country, especially at the federal level, doesn't offer that, uh, operate that way anymore. But at the local level, the school boards are subject to the parents. So the, the mask and vaccine mandate and how restrictive and how loose, that ought to be sorted out at the school board level, subject to the parents and the community. And I know that's gonna make me a lot of enemies with a lot of school boards, but that's how it should operate. So our school boards need to be trained by the policy governance model. Our next candidate, opening statement, Thomas Kelly. Hi, I'm Tom Kelly. Um, you've seen my credentials. I sent those out already. Thank you, Mark Armstrong, for those questions. Help me clarify some issues. Uh, I'm not going to talk about my credentials. I'm going to talk about who I am and why I'm here. I am a father of six children. I am a husband. I am a martial artist working on my third degree black belt. I am here because the people of Sheridan recruited and rallied behind me to come here because this is a very important position at this time. It goes beyond the whole idea of public education. What we're seeing in the country, I am a political scientist and I have studied it for many years. I do know the political animal, I do know the language. I have been trained in CRT back in the 1990s. I know exactly what it is and I've worked behind enemy lines ever since. I never thought it would take root. The, the neo-Marxist ideas were so ludicrous to me back in 1995. I never thought I'd be here this day in Wyoming saying, this is actually being taught in the schools. So I would like you to choose whoever you think is best for this position. If it's not me, great, because I want somebody in this position who can take this on, understand exactly that we are facing the greatest assault globally I've ever seen on liberty, and it is hitting Wyoming. I've heard too many people become complacent and say, this is Wyoming, it would never happen here. I fled the People's Republic of Illinois, I fled Colorado, I'm not leaving Wyoming. So I am here to do what I can to make sure that people are awake to what is happening and how the kids are being used in public schools to be indoctrinated to do things like march in lockstep, wear their masks, and parents are told to sit down and shut up. It is not acceptable. Liberty is not selfish. Liberty is not selfish. Liberty is not chaotic. Liberty is only dangerous to those who threaten it. Timer is on your left. That's two minutes. You may stand wherever you like. I will ask the questions and uh, two minute response. Does a breach of etiquette answer a question? I'm six foot nine. I know somebody's asking. <laughs> Ready for question one? Yes, sir. The real questions. Go ahead. Question one. Senate file 104 took the vote away from the people and made it an appointment by the governor. If you had an opportunity to vote the bill, how would you have voted? An emphatic no. It defeats all purpose of a representative republic when we begin consolidating powers uh, into the executive, particularly when they start going to unelected bureaucrats who are unaccountable to the public. 
I think that's all the time I need to answer that one. It's a no. Question number two. The Wyoming Department of Education paid $215,000 to Panorama Education Services, a company co-founded by Attorney General Merrick Garland's son-in-law. Do you support this expenditure? Why or why not? No, no, not at all. Um, as the Department Chair of, of Political Science at American Military University, it is a for-profit institution. So one of the things we have is the profit incentive to rein in expenses and limit bureaucracy. Um, I'm in charge of the curriculum. Everything in our bachelor's degree, our master's degree, is stuff I found for free. And we are fully accredited by the Higher Learning Commission like any major university. You can have a quality education without contracting out to other services. There's no reason to be paying so-called experts in the DC area to be um, infiltrating local school boards. What happens is the federal government offers a bunch of money to the states, and then they tell the states who are connecting there to, to, to buy the software from their friends in the DC area, as you heard Merrick Garland, and, and then it's typically just a Trojan horse for a, a lot of the stuff that I oppose. Third and final question. Where do you stand on COVID masks and vaccine mandates? How would you define your role as superintendent of public instruction and the school district's role? It, it's not up to people in the educational system to tell parents what healthcare choices to make for their kids. Um, it, it's been clear, it was clear long before COVID that unless you're wearing a virus filtering mask, masks are just symbolic anyway. They became like the liberal MAGA hat. <laughs> and particularly if you see them wearing them on their chin. You know, just, where's your mask? Uh, mask mandates are absolutely ridiculous. Um, the kids laughed at them. We did a podcast with my daughter Lillian who's back there in the red, talked about how the kids just took them off and the teachers weren't looking or they cut air holes in them anyway. Um, and, and, and kicking children out of school or even calling the police. Uh, you know, God help those peace officers who showed up and arrested a teenager for simply showing up at school. Um, and vaccine mandates, absolutely inappropriate. The, the role of the school district is to make sure that there's a quality education that is responsive to the voters, to the parents. That's what school boards are for. They are supposed to represent the parents of the kids, they're supposed to represent the community. Unfortunately, in Sheridan County, we have experienced a county that tries to tell the parents what to do, which is why initially Sheridan County recruited me to run for school board, but if this goes my way, I don't think I'm gonna do that. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Megan Dagenfelder, and as a lifelong Wyomingite and Republican, I come from a fifth generation ranching family and a third generation oil and gas family. And I've learned from a young age the importance of free enterprise and the values that we stand for here in Wyoming. With a master's in economics, I primarily built my career around the coal and oil and gas industries. I'm proud to have worked with some of the largest taxpayers in this state and fought against the federal government and environmental groups to continue doing business how we know is right. I also spent time as the Chief Policy Officer of the State Department of Education, where I worked to make meaningful cuts, to consolidate our staff members, and push our school districts to do the same. 
There were several times where I refused to sign off on reimbursements for what I found to be frivolous spending, and I will continue to do that if chosen as superintendent. Our education funding system is broken, and we continue to see our politicians kick the can down the road and allow our education lobby to convince us that the only way forward is tax increases. It's not true, and I won't let it happen. I'm a strong supporter of parental rights and choices. I believe that our parents are the number one voice in our children's education, and I will work to make those choices as great as possible, figure out um, how our districts are holding our homeschool parents back, work to be a strong voice on the board that authorizes charter schools. I will also work to bring a business-minded voice to the boards and commissions that our superintendent sits on. I will make sure that we protect the corpus of our state funds, but increase those investments to avoid tax increases. Now more than ever, we're being attacked by Washington, D.C. and the left. I have always and I will continue to always ardently oppose critical race theory. And I will begin starting on day one, implementing and looking to ban CRT and other measures that I hope I can discuss with you later. We need a strong conservative voice in this office. I will be that for Wyoming. God bless you all and God bless America. Are you ready for questions? I'm ready, Mr. Chairman. Senate File 104 took the vote away from the people and made it an appointment by the governor. If you had an opportunity to vote the bill, how would you have voted? Thank you for the question. Um, reflecting about Senate File 104, um, I remember at the time that that was being discussed, I was actually living in Beijing, China. I was living in a country that does not have the freedoms and uh, the way of life that we have here in America. And I remember following that and just being so taken aback that in Wyoming, Wyoming of all places, that we are looking to take away the voice of the people. And my time in China showed me one thing. It was that I want to be here in Wyoming, in America, and our way of life is the greatest in this entire world. We must protect that at all costs. I would have voted no on Senate File 104, and as we saw with the beauty of the three branches of government, uh, that, uh, that legislation uh, was brought down. And so um, I, I just, you know, again, we cannot jeopardize the ideals that we have here in the United States of America for anything. Question number two. The Wyoming Department of Education paid $215,000 to Panorama Education Services, a company co-founded by Attorney General Merrick Garland's son-in-law. Do you support this expenditure? Why or why not? That's a great question, and uh, this expenditure is deeply troubling. Uh, while this occurred long before my time at the Department of Education, day one, as superintendent, I would look into this contract and figure out ways that we can look and evaluate it again before it comes up for renewal in 2023. Um, our kids simply aren't for sale. And um, even if it's the cheapest option, we cannot sell our values um, and, and fund these liberal uh, groups that are seeking to influence our children and use those funds for things like critical race theory. Um, there were many times in the department where I refused to sign off on things that I found um, were frivolous. And perhaps there was someone else signed off on that, but I can tell you, at the Elm, at, at the top of this organization, I will not let that happen. And I will seek to also look at our RFP process um, and see how that we do that. Uh, as recent as the last couple months ago, um, I was criticizing the University of Wyoming, the Joint Appropriations Committee, for funding their law school as they were teaching classes that were anti-fossil fuels. We were funding these professors with our fossil fuel dollars. It's not okay in that instance, and it's not okay in this instance. And so I will work to, to get to the bottom of it. Third and final question. Where do you stand on COVID masks and vaccine mandates? How would you define your role as superintendent of public instruction and the school district's role? Thank you. 
Um, so as I mentioned before, one of my guiding principles in education policy um, is the fact that our parents know what's best for our children. Um, there is no way um, that our parents should not be the decision maker when it comes to things like masks and vaccines, just like every other decision. Um, so I would not support any uh, mandates requiring vaccines or masks. Uh, role as superintendent um, is to serve uh, at the people's will. Um, it's to be that elected official, not that appointed person, not that person that has been in state government for decades and decades, but to be that watchdog for the people, to oversee our state allocations, and to be that push against Washington, D.C., to fight back against the red tape, and whether that's in, in uh, the public policy realm or whether that's in litigation, but to stand up for our people. Our most important people in the classroom are people at the local level, our parents, our school boards in making those decisions. And so this person should be supporting our local people in all that they do. Thank you, we are concluded. All right, so now you've had a chance to hear from these three candidates. And I've got to tell you, honestly, just by listening to them each individually, I kind of liked all of them. I want to remind you, though, that talk is cheap. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not implying that any one of these candidates are disingenuous at all. I'm just saying we really don't know. Over the last couple of years, though, I have gotten to know Tom Kelly quite well, I believe. And I'm going to throw my endorsement, for whatever that's worth, toward Tom. I do this because I not only know what Tom says, he says all the right things, but I believe I know his heart. And I wanted to afford him an opportunity, not just to have two minutes to answer a question, it is so common in all of these candidate forums that we're all used to attending. I wanted to give him a chance to just talk things out. And I wanted you to hear what he had to say. I think that's important. That said, I think it's also important that you continue to follow the other candidates, that you look into them, that you research them. If you have an opportunity to sit down with them, please do so. We did an interview with Tom, and it took well over an hour. And so I've kind of broken that up into two pieces. What you're going to hear is the first section of that. And I hope that you'll stay tuned for our next show. Well, we'll play the rest of the interview with Tom. I hope you will agree with me that Tom is a very good candidate and that Tom should be our next superintendent of public instruction. Well, it's reunion time here at the Ramble Room. David Iverson is back. Garrett is here. And out from the highways and byways of Wyoming on the campaign trail is none other than Dr. Tom Kelly. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Ken. Uh, please call me Tom. This is not like Dr. Jill Biden. I'm not a real doctor. Okay? Well, neither well, is we she. know. That's why we say it. Uh, okay, all right. You got. You guys are riffing on me there. It's a, I'm not going to go around the states. And, uh, I'm Dr. Kelly. It's, it's, uh, even though I probably should at some point. You should, right? yeah. I, I get dependent on the audience. Yeah, it's good to be back here. I have not been here in weeks. Because, we know. Well, then we have we've had some scheduling conflicts between your campaign and between my campaign, and I would say, Ken, things are looking good for you right now with the incumbent not running again. How do you feel about that? I'm fine with it. Actually, I was kind of looking forward to beating him, but. And what about my campaign? You guys have forgotten all about my race for House District 43. Would you care to elaborate? <laughs> well, Ken, you see, it, it doesn't matter where you live now after the whole Dan Zwanitzer thing. So I see no reason why 
I can't run for House District 43. Now, I mean, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that I live there. But, well, then again, there was no evidence that Dan Zwanitzer lived we, there either. We're working on a similar plan because the street in front of our house is the borderline between District 29 and District 30. Oh. And so Diane and I were suggesting that we just buy the house across the street. She move across the street. She could run for that place whenever Mark's done. Perfect. And we mentioned it to Mark just to kind of get his blessing on that. He says, you don't need to move. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, one well, of fixed that. Uh, well, Wyoming's representative lives in Virginia. <laughs> From Virginia. From Virginia. Mm. But, Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that your thesis actually reads and is better written than Jill's Biden's thesis. I haven't read hers because Don't I bother. do Jill, not have masochistic Did you read it, Garrett? I read the first page of it. No, how was it? It sucked. No. <laughs> <laughs> so many misspellings, so many English My errors. My academic opinion I'm, is it's I'm going to call you on that. We'll have to have a show on that later, and we'll parse, we'll parse Jill Biden's thesis. We can do that. Yeah, Her we'll, dissertation. We'll yeah, it is a, it's a dissertation by the time. You see, you really are a doctor. You knew the difference. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so, that's why, um, yeah, that you're going to ask, so why are you running for superintendent, right? Not yet. Okay. No, I was going to ask, where have you been? Yeah. You, you haven't been here, so where all have you been? You don't call. You don't write. <laughs> are, you his, are, are you her? I, I is, is, there a, is there a bromance going on here? There, there's a, a small one. A I mean, small I'm, one? Yeah. My delicate little feelings have been hurt. Again. <laughs> you know, you get all the accolades in the state for your podcasts, and you know, and some people, like, they've come up to me, it's and it's heartbreaking, enough. and they say, do you know David Iverson? I said, I've actually <laughs> done some shows with him. You have not. I'll have to go back and listen. So, um, I've been in Lusk. Ooh. I, I've been in Cheyenne. I've been out to Sundance. I've been heading around the state to different places and talking to people in different towns about getting to meet some voters because I am starting, I would say I'm starting in third place for superintendent. You know, one thing I had going for me was when the Central Committee met back in um, January. Yeah. To walk in there and then have you and David and say, hey, listen, this guy's okay. You might want to listen to him. And the Central Committee did. And I was far and away the number one pick to be the next superintendent appointed by Governor Gordon. In their infinite wisdom, the Central Committee chose three strong conservatives. So we kind of checkmated Governor Gordon. He had to pick one of us, but it wasn't me. So what do we have going on now? Uh, I immediately, for those who don't know, I immediately got phone calls from people saying, you've got the primary Gordon. You can beat him. We'll, we'll, we'll get you the funding. We'll get your name out there, all that type of stuff. Somebody's got to take him down. But we already had, you know, Rex Rammel's already running. We already had Brent had already thrown his hat into the ring. And we had discussed it. And it's like, well, Tom, there's a five-year residency requirement. Yeah. You're so, close, but not there yet. At which I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, I really had no aspirations to be an elected official, let alone the governor. So it was kind of a relief, actually. But why not run for superintendent, which... which You're we, certainly better qualified than any of the other candidates, in my opinion. Well, yeah. I, I look on, on paper, I know that. I, I, I've got a PhD. I run a university department. I've worked in private schools. I've worked in public schools. I have experience, in, experience with homeschooling. Um, homeschooling kids with special needs. I have children with special needs. I have kids in the public schools. 
I've been an educator for 30 years. Cowboy State Daily, who said I'm an uneducated snake handler. <laughs> Did they call you a snake handler? No, actually, they didn't. They, they, they Not, didn't it was yeah. actually more of the verbiage. They said that uh, uh, the, the three of us, Marty, Brian, and I, had no experience in education. We would be indoctrinating children in snake handling. Wow. Now, I think I'd like to talk about that vote back in January for just a second. How many candidates did we have? 12, 16? There was a gob. There was a gob of them, right? I think there were 12, yeah. 12. So how many votes did we take? Uh, One. Yeah. You know why? It's because the three candidates that got picked by the Wyoming Republican Party voted overwhelmingly for you, Tom, Marty Halverson, and Brian Schrader. And what he's what he's talking about is, is there was a plan that if we do it and the votes are spread out over twelve fairly evenly, we'll pick the best three and then we'll do another one, and then we you know we'll keep right. narrowing it down. But we didn't have to go through that because the people spoke immediately, and you and Marty and Brian took it hands down. Well, and I, the reason I brought that whole thing up is Megan Degenfelder wasn't anywhere close to the number of votes that you guys received. I mean, she wasn't even in the top five, no. I don't think. No. I mean, maybe maybe number 12. I'll have to go back. We'll have to go back and look and find out where she was. But, I mean, not even anywhere close to the amount of rev- votes that, that Tom received or that Marty or Brian Schrader received. Didn't you get the top? Yeah, he got oh, three quarters. Yeah, yeah, far and away. I mean, the next closest, yeah. I was 60-something votes. The next closest was 50-something. Um, but I was stunned by that. I knew I was qualified. The people who had recruited me, to, Jan Loftus was the one who asked me to run or put my hat in the ring. Yep. I, I knew I was qualified. The people who know me know I was qualified, but this is Wyoming. And I was not born and bred in Wyoming. I knew that was two strikes against me walking in there. Well, take, take a second. I'm not, I don't really want to derail you, but I think that's a very important point because that's one of the things that, for example, Megan is saying is she's a fifth or sixth generation Wyomingite. Um, and I understand, yeah, the people who have been in Wyoming their whole lives, their families, their generations, the lifestyle of Wyoming is in their blood. And I understand when you have people, particularly coming from Colorado, coming from California. Illinois. I'm from both Illinois and Colorado because yeah. I originally fled Illinois for Colorado, then Colorado yeah. sunk, and then I came to Wyoming. Uh, and, and then the, why Wyoming? Why Wyoming? Yeah. Okay. First of all, the question would be why not Wyoming when I first left Illinois? Well, yeah, there could be one. Or, yeah, exactly. So I went to Colorado first. I've always loved the West. I always loved the culture of the West, the Rocky Mountains. Had friends that I had known since the 1990s in Fort Collins. And we had talked forever about moving out to the West. So we did in 2010. But Colorado was already kind of going purple. Then they passed mail-in balloting. The Democrats have not lost since. They legalized marijuana. An influx of, uh, of people came in from California as soon as, because Colorado was like the first state to legalize it. And they brought their voting habits with them, and, and, and the state just took an absolute nosedive. We started looking at Wyoming in 2018. We moved in 2019. And we the first place we came to is because I have a friend who lives here um, from where I work at American Military University who, who's from Sheridan. He is a retired Army Ranger. 
he lived in Colorado Springs for a long time, but this was his hometown. And he, he said, listen, Colorado's gone. I'm going back home. I'm like, where's that? He's like, Sheridan, Wyoming. Come check it out. I think you'll fit in. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I came out here and we bought a house three months later. So why Wyoming? Um, the, orig- the, the original reason we did not come here is because we knew nobody. We are, I already had friends and job connections in Colorado. But when it came to like leaving Colorado, I knew one person in Sheridan, and it didn't matter. We just had to go a place where my family fit in. I have a large family. We're shooters. We're martial artists. We're patriots. We're people of faith. We just fit right in when we came here instantly. I mean, I could probably BS people and say, oh, I've been in Wyoming forever, but I haven't. But I came here on purpose. This, these are the values that I want my family to grow up in. And I, I got extremely concerned because it wasn't very long after getting here, I heard the same ideas that sank Illinois two decades ago, that sank Colorado in recent years, already surfacing here. And now we see that all over the state. We, we see it with the University of Wyoming. We have Senator Lummis talk about Second Amendment rights and God-given liberties. You could hear a pin drop at a graduation in Wyoming. And then she mentions a, a basic fact that there are men and women, and she gets booed off the stage. University apologizes. Those nutty, woke ideas have already taken root in this state. So why me for superintendent? Yes, I'm qualified to do this, but I think there are two aspects that separate me from the other candidates. I'm not going to speak. You guys, whatever. You guys rip me up, rip up Megan, rip up Brian. That's fine. That's what you guys do. But I'm going to talk about myself, not necessarily the other candidates. It's, it's not my, I'm not a politician. It's not my style to sit here and criticize the other ones is not being able to do the job. There are two things that separate me are number one, the ability to do the job. I've been a political scientist. I have studied politics and how they work and the American federal system for many years. I come from states that have already fallen to leftist ideas they are coming in here with the same exact playbook. I know how it works. This is for the children. This is just a little tax increase. What's the big deal? Oh, if you're against us, you're anti-children, you're anti-education. How dare you? And now we've got this issue with, I've actually heard people say this, well, this is not a problem in Wyoming. I said, not yet. Men on girls sports teams. And why, when we have other conservative states outright preserving women's sports for women, do we bring up that idea in Wyoming and it dies in committee? And our senator gets booed for even bringing the idea up. Well, I'm not intimidated by cancel culture. I know the language. I know how they work on the emotional level. 
if you try and come at them purely with logic, they'll just point a finger at you. You're killing people. Do you know what the suicide rate is among transgender people? And it's, it's, it's not even relevant to the topic that I'm six foot nine. And if I artificially suppress my testosterone, I am still six foot nine. And at the age of 52, I could probably still play against women half my age in basketball. It's not, it's not fair. There's a reason the sports were separated by the sexes, not by the gender identification. And this is going to be kind of funny, Ken. You'll like this. You know, I've got a libertarian streak. No. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like the government coming in and telling people how they have to live, even if I agree with the lifestyle or disagree with it. So I had mentioned in an interview somewhere that personally, it's none of my business. Like if a guy wants to wear a dress, I'm not going to wear one. But if somebody wants to wear one, it is not the government's business to come in and tell that person how to dress. It is not the government's business to tell parents how they have to raise their kids. But it is the government's business when boys are in the girls' locker room. When my daughters are on a sports team and they have to compete against males who identify as females, even though they're not. Somehow, out in Laramie County, I had somebody contact me and say, can, can you clarify a statement, Tom? Because there are people out here saying you, you support gender transition for children. I don't know how we went from, hey, listen, it's not the government's job to tell people how to raise their kids to I support sex changes for kids. Um, but I guess that's just politics. But this is the example I'm talking about that I can weather that type of storm, laugh it off, not start apologizing, not backpedaling. They're not going to knock me back on my heels. I know how to deal with the attacks. I'm not confident all the candidates are up to the political storm that they're in for in dealing with these types of things. The number two, why I think I'm good for this, my motivation to run. I don't want to be an elected official. It's not my dream to be state superintendent. I don't have aspirations to use this as a stepping stone to be governor in the future. I have children I want to raise. I have a wife I want to take care of. I have a father who moved out here to Wyoming who I have to look after. But the best way for me to protect my kids, my family, and the way of life for my home, Wyoming is my home on purpose by choice. I wasn't lucky enough to be born here. But I came here because I wanted to be here with my family. And what I see going on right now is in the culture wars, the left has decided that they are going to use children as human shields. It's absolutely disgusting. And I want to step up and I want to step onto the front lines between my children, everyone's children who are being assaulted by this right now, and let the adults take charge and not march the children out in front. And what about the kids? What about the kids? Leave them alone. I sometimes get concerned that people would like to have this office not because they want to do the job of protecting Wyoming's way of life and, and winning the culture wars that are being waged against children right now, but rather would like the idea of the title, would like to win the election, would like the prestige of being an elected official. And like somebody who wants a wedding, not a marriage, somebody who wants the title, not the responsibility. So 
I'm pretty sure I am the candidate who is the most capable of taking on these issues, and I'm running for the correct reasons. Tom, I'd like to go back to one of the very first things that you mentioned, that you know, you're not from here, and that the folks that, are, that you're running against, well, they've been here for 27 generations or whatever it is. I completely reject that argument. Like, I can give you a long list of legislators that have a long family history of being in Wyoming, and those are the very people that allowed the policies to exist that are destroying our state. You know, so what if somebody says, well, I'm a sixth-generation Wyomingite? Well, that doesn't tell me anything about you. That tells me about your family. Now, presumably, if your parents have been, you know, if your family's been here for six generations, you will have been raised with those with those same values. But that's not a given. And just to say, you should vote for me because I've been here for six generations or whatever, that doesn't tell us anything about your values, about your policy, um, you know, your, your policy positions or anything for that matter. It's just, I mean, it's almost a red herring to say that, well, because you haven't lived here, you know, you, we shouldn't vote for you. I want to, before you respond, I want to throw something else out too, because I'm a multi-generational Wyoming native and I take a great amount of pride in that. But I was gone from Wyoming while I was serving in the military for a period of about 10 years. And during that time, I lived in Europe. I lived in Colorado Springs a couple times. I spent some time down in Columbia, South Carolina. And I learned that other places are different. There are good things. There are bad things. But I learned how it's done in other places. And one of the disadvantages of being raised here multi generations and never having been anywhere else is you don't know what you don't know and there are a lot of things that are done in other ways out there that are both good and bad and you kind of alluded to you know their tactics you know where they're coming from and a lot of a lot of the folks that have only been here don't see it coming they don't see what's happening and you have that advantage and the other one is there are things that you have learned in other places that they don't know here that might just work better absolutely and like David was saying, where you're born is not necessarily a qualification. And in, in the upcoming battle that's already started that people don't realize, it's an advantage not to be from Wyoming. Because if you, the values may be in, in you, it may be traditional brought up in your family of liberty and family and, and faith and individualism. And those are all the ideas I wish to preserve here. But there's a complacency that comes with it. I don't know how many times I've heard, this is Wyoming. This is a red state. We had the most people vote for Trump. That would never happen here. And I'm trying to grab people by the face and say, it's already happening here. What is the most important for me right now is that people realize that the first places the leftist movement goes are local media and the school boards. And that's why we have like school boards that are completely tone deaf to the parents, uh, enforcing ridiculous mask mandates, firing teachers who refuse to wear masks, even though there's no scientific evidence pulling a t-shirt over your nose makes any difference. We've gone over that before, Garrett. I know about that. Um, this is what I really want to get at, though, about what we see happening in other places. You have to remember, my PhD is in American government. I'm an expert on federalism. And where Wyoming is getting its rear end kicked right now is federal money. 
And Governor Gordon is currently, uh, he's out there chasing that carrot again with the, the hydrogen hub. But billions of dollars and jobs, what can go, energy and jobs and bears, oh my, what a great idea. Uh, and there are always those strings that come with it. And, and I've tried to explain to people that the Wyoming Education Association is not the friend of your children. It's a puppet of the National Education Association. And that is one horrifically Marxist, woke organization that I have been trained in critical race theory back in the 1990s at um, Roosevelt University, downtown Chicago. And they were teaching us back then that education is not about reading and writing. It's about social transformation through changing ideals. That's what we were told as teachers in the 1990s. And I thought this left-wing lunacy was never going to take hold. And so I was young and dumb and went in one ear and out the other. But most of the teachers I was indoctrinated with, it failed on me, went on to become teachers. And then we had students in the 1990s, and we call them Antifa today. Because and they, they run around, with, they wear their masks. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at, Tom. Because, you know, you have, like I said, you, I can give you a long list of politicians that have, at the very least, been complacent with all of these left-wing policies and, and the federal money that you brought up. And now we have, our, we have our only university that is pushing these ideas. So not only are, are people that have lived here for generations allowing that stuff to happen, and in some cases, like, you know, making a pathway for it to happen— then you have those same type of individuals at our university pushing those ideas on young people. And we still have people saying, well, you know, this is Wyoming. It can't happen here. Well, <laughs> you know, what's, what happens in the schoolroom is what happens in government later. I mean, I'm not exactly sure who said that, but it's, it, it's absolutely the truth that if you teach kids Marxist, leftist ideology in the classroom, like it's happening at the University of Wyoming, it is going to end up in your government later on. And I have to mention this whole idea of you know critical race theory. It's kind of become a buzz phrase for some conservatives without completely understanding what it is. And then we get this gaslighting from the media and the experts, we're not teaching critical race theory in the schools. No, no, you're teaching through it. You're not teaching the children what critical race theory is. You're using it to tell them that the United States is an institutionally racist country, that, that the United States Constitution was written by white people, so therefore it is white supremacist, and the only way to fix that is get rid of it. That is the heart of critical race theory. People, I don't know how many people don't even realize that critical race theory is an offshoot of critical theory, which is pure Marxism. They just throw race in there. And now they've thrown in they've thrown in the gender identity with it too. So it's really simple. If you're a capitalist, if you believe in freedom, individuality, individual rights, limited government, you're a white supremacist transphobe. In honor of Apu, I would like to invite you to listen to the Rumble Room at your choice of the following options Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or over the Intercom at the Quickie Mart and sometimes in an elevator near you. Thank you very nice.